how could we bring that sports betting experience into our feeds on TNT? So was there an alternative feed as you're watching Charles, Kenny, and Shaq? Could we create experiences and work with the books to make that happen? We started building Play Anywhere Inside the Company, which is a clearinghouse system that just basically unlocks interactive rights for the IP holders. And in this case, in sports, it's really the leagues. So we created, in essence, a new rights category. You're listening to the Gaming News Canada Show with Steve McAllister. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Gaming News Canada Show. And thank you, as always, to the sponsors of this podcast, Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. On this week's podcast, Shelley White, the Chief Executive Officer of the Responsible Gambling Council, will be with us to discuss the organization's 2022-23 annual report that was released at the end of last week. And later, Peter Scott, whose storied career in digital media includes executive positions with Turner Sports and Warner Media, will join us to talk about his new gig as Chief Strategy Officer at Play Anywhere. Welcome back to the Gaming News Canada show, the CEO of the Responsible Gambling Council, Shelley White. Shelley, I hope we didn't pull you away from the golf course or a poolside patio to join us on this. Not today, Steve. I did manage to get in a game of a round of golf last night with friends, uh, which was lovely, and uh, actually had pretty good games. So um, it was a uh, it was a great night. But no, today has been a great day in the office uh, with um, a lot of my team members are here today, um, planning for um, for the for fall and winter in terms of the initiatives that we're going to be implementing. Yeah, I have no doubt, Shelley, that, uh, you know, when I worked in the sports media business, we got to the point in my career where there was no such thing as an off-season in any sport anymore. And it kind of feels like, you know, having been immersed in this industry for the better part of three years now, that it's the same thing within this industry. You can never really completely turn off the phone or the computer. That's right. It's definitely a 365 uh, business. So listen, we wrote about the RGC's annual report as the lead item in, in the Tuesday newsletter. And, uh, you know, going through the 23-page document on Monday, it, it, it seems to me that you and your staff ticked off an awful lot of boxes over the past year, Shelley. Um, you know, you're in your seventh year with the organization now. Is it fair to say that this is the busiest you've been since, since accepting the CEO position way back in February 2017? Um, without a doubt, Steve, this 2022-2023 uh, have been an extremely busy year. Um, it's really, we've really had to, um, you know, lean into our knowledge and expertise and um, support for the industry, but also, um, you know, it really enhancing the amount of information that we provide to the public as well. Um, so it's been, um, it's been really challenging, um, but it's also been very fulfilling and exciting for us. Yeah, that's a great uh, segue, Shelley, just to, to look at the annual report. And uh, again, as I mentioned, you know, several highlights to point out, but I guess what, what stands out to you in terms of the accomplishments by you and your team in this report? I think that, you know, the, the focus, as we reflected upon the year, I think that everybody is really proud of, you know, the, the amount of work that we did to, um, you know, support the changes that are taking place in the industry with respect to the growth in online gambling and sports betting and, um, you know, ensuring that there were robust regulations and standards in place and, you know, auditing um, the operators to evaluate the quality of their responsible gambling programs and, and, and providing them with, with good information about how they can, you know, what they're doing well, but also areas that they can continue to build upon over time to continue to uh, fulfill their responsible gambling strategies. And then at the same time, you know, providing really valuable, relevant, interesting, um, accessible information to players about responsible gambling tools and what they can do to keep their, their gaming, their gambling safer and enjoyable. Um, so managing both sides of the organization in terms of the work that we do and coming up with really, you know, innovative, evidence-informed types of programs and services 
and being able to provide that same kind of evidence-informed input to the industry about um, what what can be done to ensure that they're achieving their their client and customer um, protection um, goals and objectives. So, um, like I said, it's been it's been a challenging year. We've learned we've learned a tremendous amount, but we've also got a great deal of enjoyment about working. Um, with um, with our stakeholders, both the industry and with the public. You know, Shelly, we, we run in each other, it seems, at every uh, every conference conference that goes on in the industry, certainly here in North America. And uh, I remember, uh, I think, a conversation that you and I may have had at, uh, at, uh, at ICE back in February, and uh, we got talking about education. And, and uh, I think one of the things that the RGC has done that's really commendable is it's creating... Edu- education program for use and and we're hearing now Paul Burns from the Canadian Gaming Association mentioned it at the Canadian Gaming Summit last month that he's now getting phone calls from schools who uh, whose students are, are seeing that there are opportunities to work in this industry and we also know we're just following this industry on, on both sides of the border um, you know maybe a, little, a, a bit of a brighter light being shone on uh, the gambling habits of college students in the U.S., but we certainly know what's going on in Canada as well. And you, I think RGC has identified that as as a, an area of focus and making sure that, uh, that that school children, secondary school children, and and university school um, students have have access to that information about gambling responsibly. Oh, definitely. You know, um, for years, for decades, RGC has been providing going into schools, into, um, you know, um, public schools, as well as uh, post-secondary institutions to provide students with information about um, about gambling and ris- what the risks are, but also responsible gambling habits. And certainly the current programs like uh, for the high school students, it's Game Brain and the, the game House of Wisdoms. Um, has been very, very effective in terms of providing them with um, information in a way that is um, accessible and fun to learn. And then also going out into the colleges and universities with Check Your Reflex, which is a very much of an interactive activity that um, provides them with a hands-on way of understanding how their bodies respond to the excitement that somebody experiences when they're gambling and gaming and has led to really impactful discussions that um, help inform um, the kind of gaming that and gambling that um, young youth and young adults do going forward. And this is going to continue, to your point, is going to continue to be a high priority because we know based on our research, our market research, that this is a population that um, wants to know more, needs to know more, but also is vulnerable. And um, so we're, we're, this is definitely a high priority for us, as are their parents and caregivers, um, to ensure that they're getting the information that they need to have those important conversations with their kids about um, um, the, the potential risks associated with gambling and um, how to ensure that they're, if they are going to gamble, what the responsible gambling tools are and, um, and how to keep it as a fun and entertaining activity as opposed to something that they're doing on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, that's such an important point, Shelley. We we talk on the podcast often, and and just uh, anecdotally speaking, the parents and we we know that uh, the parents have set up sportsbook and online gaming accounts for for their children, and I think sometimes there's a bit of naivete to that, and not realizing the trouble that uh, the son or daughter could get could get in by by gambling. Uh, so you're absolutely right. I, I think educating the parents is maybe even more important in educating the, the children themselves. Well, it is certainly parents, parents and caregivers play an extremely important role in terms of educating their kids and having those conversations and having those conversations, um, as, you know, at, with their kids along their developmental stages, not just leaving it to when their their kids become legal age to gamble, for example, because we do know based on public health information that 
kids are gambling before their legal age. Um, and so um, it's very important to provide that information to kids um, as they're going through um, preteen and teen years, et cetera, so that they're well, well prepared. We also know based on our research that it's also really important for us to um, provide um, ethno culturally sensitive information to ethnocultural populations. So we, as we talked about in an annual report, really leaned into that this year and worked with um, Soch Mental Health to develop and implement a specific, um, you know, responsible gambling workshop for the South Asian community. Did the same thing with um, the Peel Elder Abuse uh, Prevention Network, where we provided education to older adults. Um, I've done work with the Chinese community as well. And we continue to hone our own knowledge and skills in terms of um, equity, diversity, inclusion, so that we're able to continue to enhance um, the work that we're doing and do it in a way that understands and respects the values, the beliefs, and the culture of the diverse communities that we serve um, throughout Canada and in other parts of the world. Uh, Shelly, I mean, we, we point this out in the newsletter, and it, it shouldn't come as a surprise, but there's obviously a substantial chunk of the annual report that's dedicated to the work you did in Ontario this year. And, and again, if anyone's been kind of uh, stranded on the deserted island over the past 14 months, we know we have a, a regulated marketplace in Ontario now with, with 45 plus operators, uh, very competitive, vibrant marketplace in Ontario. Uh, you know, uh, RGC played a role with, with that market this year with your RG Check accreditation program. And uh, the council conducted a poll uh, uh, just before the Super Bowl in February to collect some insights into how Ontarians were, were going to be betting on, on the Super Bowl and uh, continued your work with the Ontario Lottery and, Ga and Gaming Corporation through, uh, through, through the Play, Play Smart Centre. So, uh, you know, I have a feeling that when, when this annual report calendar year started, uh, you had a pretty good sense that, that a lot of your focus was going to be here in Ontario. Oh, it is. I mean, it was a, it, you know, given all the change that was occurring in Ontario with the expansion of iGaming and sports betting, um, there was a huge need to ensure that there was a robust, responsible gambling culture in place. And so um, even prior to the market opening up, we were already working with AGCO and um, providing them with input around RG standards to go into the regulations, uh, as well as working with IGO on, you know, the kinds of things that they might want to consider putting into the licensing agreement for operators as well to reinforce um, the importance of responsible gambling um, amongst the operators. Uh, this year, um, one of the provisions, one of the requirements in the licensing agreement for all new operators in Ontario is to, they must go through the RG check accreditation process in within their first two years of operation. This is, this is similar to what is in place for the land-based operators. And so last year, we actually conducted, our RG check team conducted 17 iGaming site accreditations. Um, there's still, to your point, there's still a lot more to go over the course of the next year and a half. And in addition to that, we did another 31 land-based accreditations. So our accreditation team has been very busy um, within Ontario, but also in other provinces um, across Canada, as well as in other countries. We actually conducted our first accreditation in Australia uh, this year as well. Um, and this program is extremely important in terms of contributing to the RG ecosystem um, in Canada, as well as other parts of the world, because it gives the operators, like I said before, really um, practical information about where they're doing really well with respect to their responsible gambling programs, but where, but more importantly, where there's opportunities for them to build upon, where, for them to improve. And the RG check is only conducted every three years, and that's very intentional. So they can use that report and incorporate the recommendations into the responsible gambling strategy so that when we come back three years later, we can see the actual improvements in the program. And we do. You know, the operators take those reports very, very seriously and use those recommendations to make improvements to their responsible gambling program. And so overall, when you're doing that kind of work, it actually enhances their responsible gambling culture. 
And then we're also um, doing the prevalence study for IGO as well. And um, we also worked with Think TV to create a really jazzy, um, responsible gambling public service announcement that's been aired across Canada in English and in French, radio and TV, um, and has actually even filtrated into some parts of the United States as well. And we've been getting really, really positive comments from the, um, from the industry and from the public about the value of that ad and, and how great it is to see RGC um, providing that kind of messaging. Yeah, I wanted to mention that, Shelley, because that uh, you, uh, you do refer to the Know the Risk campaign in the, uh, in the annual report. And, uh, you know, we kind of, uh, I don't know if it's beating that dead horse, but certainly a topic that's been top of mind is, is the volume of advertising since the Ontario market opened. Um, you know, we've talked we've talked about on the podcast and the newsletter about the need for responsible gambling messaging. And I think the one point that gets lost, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone sometimes on this, is that there are, as you mentioned, there are a lot of checks and balances in place uh, for customers once they register with uh, with an operator, and um, it's not uh, as much as sometimes we might refer to the Wild West when it comes to the advertising. If you are a, a customer with a sportsbook and iGaming operator, uh, there are there are a lot of checks and balances in place along that responsible gambling. There are, and I think that it's um, you know extremely important that we continue to evaluate those checks and balances and determine what's working, but where is there a need to um, adapt. Um, those regulations and standards to ensure that we're accomplishing what our intention is. And, um, you know, that you don't leave those standards for five years. And I'm not saying that AGCO is. In fact, AGCO has already demonstrated they're committed to continuously um, modifying those regulations and standards um, as um, we identify that perhaps it's not meeting um, the uh, the industry or consumers' needs. Um, I expect that this year there will be changes made to the four advertising and marketing standards that exist in the AGCO um, iGaming regulations. Um, right, you know they've been they've been doing a consultation. They've been looking at evidence, and um, I'm you know given the um, the concerns about the volume of advertising and marketing. Um, and the potential impact on vulnerable populations, um, I expect that there, there will be some modifications made to that those standards. Do, do you see RGC continue to play a leading role, Shelley, in, in getting that RG messaging out there externally? You bet. You bet. Um, this, is, this is our raison d'etre. This is our mission. Our mission is to ensure that, um, you know, that we're uniting and working with organizations to ensure that there is safer gambling in place so that people don't experience harms. That That is our mission critical. And um, we're committed to doing that work within Ontario and across Canada. And that doesn't mean, and this is the other conversation, Steve, that I've been having with regulators um, and other jurisdictions, you know, Ontario selected its model based on what it wanted to achieve. Other jurisdictions, it's not the only model. And we work with jurisdictions all over that have very different models. What our goal is and what, our, what, what we can contribute is we can work with the regulators and the, and the operators and the conduct and manage organizations, et cetera, to put in place the responsible gambling standards and practices and programs and services that align with the type of regulatory framework that each jurisdiction decides to put in place. We, um, we, do, we don't determine what that, what that model is, but we are committed to working with every single jurisdiction. And, you know, of course, Canada is an extremely important market for us. Um, we'd like to see um, robust regulatory um, standards in place in every province across the country um, and that they're continually being modernized to adapt to the um, new developments, the innovations that exist. And, um, and 
you know, that there's probably a lot of, you know, you, you need to tailor it for each particular province because each province does have a unique culture. But there certainly are some core um, regulations and standards that every province should have in place. There needs to be self-exclusion. There needs to be leadership and um, needs to be a strong RG strategy in place. Um, there needs to be, um, you know, support available to help individuals make informed decisions about how they gamble. Um, you know, there needs to be regulations around marketing and advertising, etc. So there are some core, certainly some core regulations that can be put in place. And then you can also um, uh, include standards and regulations that would be pertinent to each particular culture. This, uh, I mean, this industry has obviously changed a lot in Canada, having this regulated marketplace in Ontario. Uh, Canada's always, this is something I've been told since we started uh, Gaming News Canada two years ago, is that Canada stands, uh, is at the top of the list when it comes to responsible gambling. And, and we know of the sterling reputation that the British Columbia Lottery Corporation has with uh, with its uh, the Game Sense program, Shelley and and also the OLG with with PlaySmart and the work that RGC has done has that uh, has that changed at all or what what's the feedback that you get when you when you travel these conferences around uh, around the world? Yeah, you know we Canada is held up as a model because of the investment that's made because of the commitment to consumer education and information and you know, uh, PlaySmart and GameSense and PlayWise. And I mean, there's a number of different products out there, but they all do the same thing. And, and they're incorporated right into the gaming experience. So they're not separate. They're actually baked right in so that it's sending a very clear message that, you know, it's important for players to be educated and have information and know how the games work so that they can have um, a safer gambling experience, much like learning how to drive a car um, or, or um, any, you know, learning any other, other skill. And those people that are most at risk are those individuals who don't have access to that information. But making that advance, uh, investment, having robust regulations in place, making a commitment and investing in research on an ongoing basis and applying that research and then having really good um, player information and, and education programs in place that are inviting and really encourage people to participate in them and are non-judgmental mental or stigmatizing, um, so important. I predict that this industry is going to continue to evolve. It's going to continue to innovate. The way the industry is going to look five years from now is going to be very different than it is right now. And we need to continue continue to innovate with respect to responsible gambling um, to align with that. That's going to be absolutely imperative. And that's what RGC is focused on. That's we're in the process of developing our strategic plan right now. And that is what we are focused on is trying to determine what are going to be the emerging trends? How is the industry going to evolve? And how are we go what do we what will we need to focus on in terms of our g to ensure that we stay that we're proactive and progressive and um, engaging in a very pot for in a, in a very positive way with players as well as the industry you uh, you perfectly teed up my final question shelly and that's uh i'll just get you to dig out your crystal ball and and try to provide some insight on what the annual report, the 2023-24 annual report might look like and, and what RGC's priorities are over the next uh, 12 months. Yeah, so, um, you know, we just came out of a board and management retreat at the end of June. And, you know, we focused on things like the importance of um, continuing to innovate with respect to um player information and education, um, as well as, um, you know, advancing that and taking it one step further in terms of the cultural sensitivity portion of that. That is so important, given the diversity that exists within Ontario and Canada and other parts of the world. Um, and so, you know, in terms of shaping a good good strategy, it's absolutely important that it's culturally sensitive. Um, continuing to, um, you know, 
continue our relationships and build partnerships and collaborations within Canada, but also globally. We learn so much from those partnerships with researchers and um, counseling organizations and other RG organizations, as well as operators and regulators um, about, you know, innovative approaches to working with the public, as well as um, advancing RG. Um, we are also going to um, invest considerably more in research and evaluation and ins to ensure, you know, we've solved all the simple problems. Now the, the, the problems that exist are more complex. And, you know, you want to ensure that whatever solutions you're going to put forward are based on evidence that you that you're putting forward a solution that is that is grounded in um, knowledge and in um, in uh, you know going to be successful. So this is you know this whole research piece um, is so important. And then I would say innovation. Um, and, you know, as te technology continues to innovate. Um, and uh, change and evolve, so will the gambling industry. It is very much a technology-based industry. Um, so, um, you know, we've got to ensure that we're using and developing RG solutions that um, are using technology. Um, and so looking at the, the potential, um, we know that AI and machine learning uh, there's, is being used uh, quite significantly um, and can be used in positive ways to prevent risk. How do, we, how do we ensure that we understand what aspects of AI and machine learning are working and, um, and perhaps ensure that that's being used universally amongst all operators to provide that safest possible environment? We also know there's going to be tremendous, continue to be tremendous growth in the gambling industry globally. And how do we ensure and what kind of role can RGC play in terms of supporting current jurisdictions or new jurisdictions with developing um, improved responsible gambling uh, regulations and standards? That's uh, great stuff, Shelley. Uh, you can find the uh, Responsible Gambling Council 2022-23 annual report at responsiblegambling.org. Uh, we also have a link to the annual report in, in the Tuesday newsletter this week. Uh, Shelly White, the CEO of the Responsible Gambling Council. I, I always, I'm always a little bit smarter, Shelly, after our, after our conversations. Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with me today and appearing on the Gaming News Canada show. Well, Steve, thank you very much for your excellent questions. It was a pleasure to speak with you this afternoon, and I hope that you enjoy the rest of your summer. A word from our sponsor. The Gaming News Canada show is presented by Osler, Hoskin & Harcourt, LLP. Osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the gaming industry. Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com slash gaming for more information. That's O-S-L-E-R dot com forward slash gaming. Now back to the show. We are truly delighted to be joined by Peter Scott, the Chief Strategy Officer of Play Anywhere. Peter's home base is Atlanta, where he spent the last 13 years in vice president roles with Turner Sports and Warner Media before joining Play Anywhere in April. Peter joins us on this day from California, uh, more specifically Los Angeles, which I assume, Peter, is a, is a business trip for you, although I'm sure there's a pleasure component to it as well. Yeah, it's, actually, it's, good. it's a good place to visit. I grew up here when I was a kid, and my brother lives out here. Um, but the, as we'll discuss, the Play Anywhere platform has a lot of relevancy for IP holders, uh, whether it be unscripted television, whether it be sports leagues, etc. So we think that we're educating. That's what we're trying to do is educate the marketplace about, you know, what we're doing. And I, I get bonus too, Pete, and I know uh, there'll be some listener envy here is that you, you are going to have a chance to get to the ESPYs. Is this your first time uh, seeing the ESPYs live? Yeah, I, I, um, I got invited by a friend of mine and I don't know if I if I was still a Turner, I would be allowed to go. I'm sure I probably would have. But yeah, it'll be an interesting experience to see how they package, you know, uh, the sports ecosystem. You know, just down the road is, you know, where they do the Academy Award. So I applaud ESPN 
for creating the ESPYs, um, you know, so many years ago to sort of honor and, and cherish athletes. And as we know, athletes have become fundamentally, you know, brands themselves. Um, there was a great article in ESPN this week about the Messi effect and what Messi has done and mean to MLS soccer and how that's going to reverberate from the Toronto MLS uh, team to the Montreal to Atlanta, just his ability to go around the United States and North America and play soccer. And what a perfect time before the World Cup. But the business model, you know, around that, where he's, you know, getting a piece of Apple TV, he's getting a piece uh, from Adidas. It's very reminiscent of sort of Michael Jordan and Nike, where his mom was so successful in negotiating Air Jordan rights, where he passively makes $400 million a year. So it's really, really an interesting time where athletes are being uh, sort of honored and respected for what they really do, drive ticket sales. Um, and are there going to be new compensation structures that sort of honor that? And then here in the States, you know, we have um, uh, name, image, and likeness where now college athletes are being compensated. So LeBron's son is going to school at USC right down the road and his expected revenue for his freshman year for sponsors is around five to $6 million a year. So it's a whole different dynamic that's being changed right now. The economies and the value of the athletes. So just, you know, just excited to really be in the middle of it, quite frankly, and just trying to understand it and help people sort of figure out ways that they can, you know, leverage it. I'd like to start with, with just your, your own personal story. I mean, we, uh, uh, we met each other for the first time uh, about a year ago at the SBC Summit North America, actually at, uh, at a Yankees game with, uh, mm-hmm. with Mark Silver from Parlay Media Group. And we had a chance to spend some time together last month at the Canadian Gaming Summit. But, um, you know, you and I have slightly, I guess, similar stories in the, in the sports media business. But I'm, I'm hoping we can start by just you talking a bit about your own personal journey and, and the decision to joy play anywhere back in April. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of what you, you and uh, Mark are doing with parlay, Steve. It's, it's very, you know, it's very important for the industry, especially in, in Canada to understand, you know, all the rules and the regulations and have sort of an unbiased opinion of clarity of what's going on. So I applaud you for doing that. You know, I got real lucky. I, I grew up out here and then I moved to New York city when I was a kid and then, went to university in Boston, Boston University, and they had a great communications program. And we were lucky enough back in the day to get uh, CNN to come on campus. And they were calling CNN at the day, the Chicken Noodle Network. And this is where Ted Turner in 89 was recruiting college kids like myself to move to Atlanta, Georgia. And was lucky enough to get an interview, lucky enough to win that interview and drove down to Atlanta as a kid um, and started working for CNN. And CNN, the Gulf War broke out in 1990. And the rest is sort of history with the distribution of that content, which is sort of ironic, right? That we're still discussing that, whether that be through AI or social, the distribution of content and its delivery. Think about Bernie Shaw in the room in Baghdad. You know, we were sort of doing that. So being part of that as a kid, traveling the world with Christian Amanpour and Nick Robinson in war zones and, and just, you know, seeing things as a kid that were so important and humbled me and then moved into sports I was able to help run remote operations and production manage and understand the business and the math of how much it costs to drive productions. And then I took off and came out here to work for foxsports.com, got a really good experience running the digital video department. And it really created a hybrid knowledge because I think like in any business, you have to, if you're truly going to be a visionary, you have to have respect of the legacy and understand where the legacy came from. So I was successful enough to, sort of gain a graduate degree in digital media here in LA. And then I moved back to Atlanta as we were thinking about operating and managing websites for big, large leagues in the States. Um, you know, true uh, mentor of mine, Mark Lazarus and Drew Reifenberger were smart enough to see that money was moving into the web and that Turner needed to have a stake at the table. So in 2001, I came back and started running all of these um, team websites. So and league websites, because at the time there was no Delta Tray. There were no white label solutions for running websites. Um, and we started building a very good muscle, I think is that that's the best term of understanding. Uh, we worked with NASCAR for 12 years, PGA Tour, the Ryder Cup, uh, ended up signing a, a sort of a monumental deal with David Stern to 
share the digital rights with MBA, which is still existing today. And then we got to operate and manage March Madness. So in all those experiences of operating and managing an editorial, just understanding where eyeballs were going and how we as a company could hold the hands and be blessed to be the stewardship of those leagues and really teach them how to fish. Um, and I did that for a bunch of years. And then towards the latter part of my career, I had uh, you know, great um, bosses that empowered me, uh, Matt Hong and Lenny Daniels, to go explore and make us relevant in the space. So I got to tinker and got to look at new ways of creating content for the leagues and creating a value for them. We opened an office in Israel and we sat there with a gigantic butterfly net, catching all the best tech companies and bring them to the U.S. And, you know, we were coming to uh, PASPA in the States where sports betting, you know, Chris Christie, now presidential candidate Chris Christie, was sort of adamant about states being controlled of whether they want to do online sports betting. So they won the case and PASPA uh, was passed where states can make the decision. So I thought fundamentally, if we're in the sports business, how do we as, as Turner, who was so lucky to have the NBA, NHL, USMN, soccer, March Madness, distribution here in the States, how could we bring that sports betting experience into our uh, feeds I know on TNT? So was there an alternative feed? You know, as you're watching Charles, Kenny and Shaq, you know, could you basically integrate a sports book into that experience, expose them to the more casual fan, create personalization around, you know, a particular bet. If Steve likes LeBron James and I like Anthony Davis or someone else wants just to bet foul shots, could we create experiences and work with the books to make that happen? And so we started building Play Anywhere inside the company. We found a great partner in Israel, um, Yaakov and Yaakov and his brother Boaz who were running a company called Catch Media, which did two fundamental things of the Play Anywhere platform, uh, recommendation engine and clearinghouse. And they were doing that with OTT and newspaper companies in India. So they had an engine that was able to basically see what people were doing and then provide them with a recommendation, whether it be a video or newspaper article. And then they had a payment system uh, that basically rewarded and paid publishers um, more money as more people watched. So it was important to me with Play Anywhere, if we were going to go out into the world and create this white label platform, we had done this similarly with um, a really smart guy named Mike Wise, an engineer, and Andy Heller here in the States for TV Everywhere, where they created Adobe Pass with Adobe, which allowed you to basically create a credentialing system with um, MVPDs who pay the affiliate fees here in the States um, to create a credentialing process that would say, hey, we're all going to agree to use this credentialing process and that's going to allow you to take CNN and put it in your pocket. So take it off the set top box and put it in your pocket and watch really on any piece of glass. So there's that mentality of how do you authenticate from different worlds that necessarily wouldn't be talking to other sports books, e-commerce companies for uh, interactivity and um, advertisers. How can we sort of merge that together? And that's what we built with play anywhere which is a clearinghouse system that just basically unlocks interactive rights for the IP holders. And in this case, in sports, it's really the leagues. So we created, in essence, a new rights category that we're calling interactive rights and just educating both the leagues and the broadcasters around the world. We were very fortunate a couple of weeks ago to announce a strategic deal with La Liga. And that press release was in five different languages because uh, their footprint is so good. But what's been really great about this gig, Steve, is every sports organization and league has the same problem. They're competing against time, attention. They want to collect first-party data. They want to create more engagement experiences and allowing fans really to create their own experience and be able to watch a sporting event the way they want to watch. So um, the merger was taking place. I volunteered. Um, to leave the great company that I work for and to spin the company out. And they were very gracious and allowed me to do that. So, you know, that's what we're doing now. There's most like sports to leverage our interactive engine inside those components. So it's been a great ride. Been very, very, very blessed and lucky um, and excited about this new opportunity. Uh, Pete, maybe we can use the, the Liga partnership just to flush out sure. interactive interactive rights a bit more and again yeah. just, 
just mentioned that was uh, th that announcement coincided with the Canadian Gaming Summit that week. So we did uh, Mark and I and, and some other people, Mike Day at Parlay Media Group. We had a chance to celebrate that announcement with you as well. And I remember you saying to Mark and I that week that it was pretty cool to be mentioned in the same news release or be quoted as, as Oscar Mayo, the executive director of La Liga. And, and uh, yeah, like being being partners with one of the, not just one of the major sporting leagues in the world, but one of the major sporting organizations on the, on the planet uh, goes beyond cool. But maybe, maybe you can just use that La Liga deal to, to explain a little bit more what interactive rights mean. Yeah, no problem. So I have to give the credit to uh, La Liga and Oscar and what they've done really over the last, say, five years. No one in the States knew what La Liga was. And now because of their relationship with ESPN Plus and the branding of their players and obviously Barcelona uh, and Madrid, people knowing those, it's just amazing what they've been able to do to get recognition around the world. And so when uh, Yakov and Boaz specifically approached them about this concept of interactive rights, the ability to basically create interactive experiences over La Liga IP. So that means a squeeze back, an L-frame, a QR code, any information that would um, be overlaid on top of their live and video highlights IP, you know, that was a category that had not been uh, clarified in a lot of deals. And I was lucky enough at Turner and my colleagues to look at deals, you know, when we were negotiating our rights. And it was always a gray area. It was never sort of concrete what interactive rights are. So in essence, we wrote the new category and explained to La Liga that this is an opportunity uh, to unlock new opportunities for the rights holders, to allow them to create experiences around your IP that hopefully generates new revenue uh, new first-party data opportunities for the leagues. Um, and that's what we did. And so by creating the Play Anywhere platform, in essence, it is that clearinghouse that the leagues have now allowed broadcasters around the world for them to unlock these rights. And what we're seeing is this interest, not just from you know leagues here, but up in Canada, in Europe, in Asia, and South America, thinking the same way. And can there be a win-win situation? That's basically what we try to tout with this program is that we think it's a win-win for everybody in the ecosystem. And it might be as simple as, you know, you're watching the CFL and you're watching two versions, one where you're just sitting back, having a beer on the couch and watching, you know, a CFL football game, or the other version is watch, play and bet. And in that situation, you would click on that. If you wanted to make a bet, we authenticate with a book, we squeeze back the signal, you log in, and you at your user discretion can basically open and close this interactive panel and make the appropriate wager, buy a jersey when a touchdown gets scored, or interact with an advertiser, Uber Eats, while you're watching on the screen. And then obviously complimentary information about the players, stats, stories, the great things that you guys do uh, to complement the experience. And again, I think it's the empowerment allowing the sports fan to create his or her version of the way they want to watch the sports match. Scenic, a great company in the UK is creating, you know, viewer parties where, you know, if you and I were Hamilton, uh, you know, uh, fans and we wanted to watch together, we could do that. Or if we wanted to make a wager and we wanted to do that, or I wanted to watch an influencer, um, you know, we're talking to Patreon out here, which is an amazing company of, influencers 250,000 that's created their own channels and are creating monetization inside those channels. So I think it's just a great time and the technology costs have come down so much that you can experiment. You know, a lot of this stuff not even 10 years ago was pretty expensive to create different versions of uh, of a telecast, you know, you see that proudly displayed with Amazon and NFL on Thursday nights where you can choose, you know, four different broadcasts the dude perfect guys who are hilarious and have a different fandom than say the normal um, traditional uh, broadcast feed. So it's, we're just enabling that and we want that to be enabled and really to uh, integrate all the APIs from the books, integrate e-commerce and the advertisers. We take care of the plumbing. We set up play anywhere for free with the partners. And then we basically, you know, start collecting revenue. We take a small, 
percentage payout anywhere between 85% of the revenues to all the different parties of that ecosystem. So it could be the rights holder, it could be the league, and it could be a distributor. So for instance, if we are watching Rogers hockey on our, um, you know, NHL and, and Rogers, you know, that experience in, um, you know, in their OTT player, could we create an alternative feed with them and get permission from the NHL to create more of an interactive uh, version where they could, um, you know, potentially wager with a sports book in Canada, get in more information. And we've all, uh, by the way, great engineers and great product people around the world have experimented with this. And they are driving sort of this idea around interactivity. And we want to encourage that, you know, it's not going to be all the the viewers, which is perfectly fine, but it may be 20 to 30%. They really want to go maybe more, a little more in depth and want to do things both on the main screen in their home or in coordination with the second screen in their hand. So we're happy that we can sort of help, you know, unlock those, those values and create more of a business model because I think everybody's wanted to do interactive TV for 25 years, but there's so many business and distribution models that are associated with that, that you have to be conscious of guys like us in the industry where it's like, you just can't do it. You know, you have to figure out a way where everybody who owns the screen at the moment. So in Canada it could be Rogers, the NHL, um, and how does that person get compensated? And so that's what we're trying to sort of solve and help and encourage. Yeah, as you know, Pete, I mean, there's been a lot of controversy about uh, attempts to integrate sports betting information into, into sports sports broadcasts. It, it does seem to me that what you're proposing, that would go a long ways towards solving that problem where we know there are going to be sports fans who don't want to bet, and so they don't want to be given money lines and, and player props and single-game parlay information on a on an NHL broadcast or a CFL game on TSN on a, on a Friday night. But to your point, that 20 to 30% of people who do like to bet on games, um, they I would think they'd be really attracted to that second screen experience that you talk about. Yeah, I mean, I think, listen, in the States for our Super Bowl and for your Grey Cup or even the Stanley Cup, you know, more people are paying attention. So, you know, they're great companies like Simple Bet and End Venue that are creating very simple questions around what you can and cannot wager, whether it's the color of the Gatorade that gets poured on the coach, how much time the national anthem. So I kind of look at it more as entertainment, where if we can figure out a way where we can create these entertainment experiences that quite frankly are probably going on anyway in living rooms around Canada, um, just the, you know, the, the, pa- the pageantry around the game and then the, the passion and the tribes between the Canadians and the and you know the Maple Leafs, right? Where that that just normally happens. Is there a way that we can simplify that entertainment and create more engagement on the on the telecast? So I think for us, it's probably going to be down that road where at least in the beginning it's two different versions of the telecast, and then it may be one version of the telecast, but it may be like there's a couple buttons that you can turn on and turn off to make that broadcast whatever you want it for yourselves. And I think you're sort of obviously seeing that with Amazon where they have four different versions of the NFL telecast on Thursday nights. But I think it's just going to be, you know, very, I think it's just going to be consistent and in, in, in a lot more um, available for people to do this if they want to do it. And I think leagues are being, you know, you look at Formula One TV, they have a great experience, very similar to what we created in NASCAR where you can sit in and pick the in-car cameras you want to ride with and you want to listen to the driver and their pit crew and what they're doing. And again, that's not everybody, but it is a couple of people that you know may want to do that. Rugby has the great microphone from the referee. It's yes. basically, you know, when he's setting up scrums and, and games, you could actually listen to that audio while you're watching the game, which is like, so, you know, that it's just so much more in depth. And that may be a choice of, someone who's watching that experience. But I think you want to see that where you have multiple personalization that can potentially happen and and be able to do that. So again, there has to be something on the background that sort of helps uh, moderate and account for a lot of the transactions. Um, and we think we can help do that. Yeah, without giving away any secrets, Pete, like what, what do you see as some of the opportunities uh, up here in Canada? 
I think uh, really what we're talking to, uh, you know, both media companies, uh, Rogers and Bell, and I think the NHL really wants to open and enable, you know, interactivity over their feeds. They've already did. We did some testing with Turner during the NHL Cup. So I think you could see us work closely with both broadcast partners um, to enable an alternative feed and create interactive experiences where we can generate new revenue for the sales teams, uh, new opportunities for engagement and time spent. Um, you know, the Olympics are coming and we just signed a strategic deal with Dentsu where Dentsu owns the Olympic rights um, all in Asia. And we are working with the IOC to basically write the script of when you can and cannot create interactive moments inside a game. So we could be working, you know, on those fronts. And then you have your own leagues, you know, the CFL and, and hurling and, and others that we're super interested in um, that we can enable uh, to make that happen. And we're having, you know, discussions with those leagues um, as well. So I think this is just going to be a common way, Steve, that people are going to be able to watch programming um, and, and move down that and move down that, 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 that path. Yeah, I wonder too, Pete, if there aren't opportunities in women's sports as well. When you, when I listen to you, we, you know, we know that the uh, the Mark Walder Group and Billie Jean King, her uh, her business, um, bringing the two women's hockey leagues together in North America, and uh, you know, seeing uh, seeing a tweet this week from David Purdom at ESPN that Bet MGM there was a forty percent increase in betting on women's sports this year. The, the International Betting Integrity Agency just came out with a with a paper this week on on women's sports and the, and the growth there and and again it seems to me that play anywhere that that would be uh, this company would your company would be an asset to shining an even brighter light on women's sports. Yeah, I think. Listen, we're seeing that uh, phenomenon obviously at the Women's World Cup, um, you know, this summer, and you know the U.S. team has a has another good shot. They were. You know, they've since moved, they've since flown down to New Zealand. You can see them now in their parkas sort of trading like the women's Canadian team. And and I think for us, um, look, it doesn't have to be gaming in every scenario. Uh, it can just be informational. It can be sponsorship of the interactive panel. So what we want to do is in some countries, we may not be allowed to do gamification. Um, and in other countries, it may be free to play games. In the States, we have a very strong daily fantasy um, system down here and, you know, great companies like prize picks, um, you know, underdog and others that are in this space that are creating these, you know, consumer experiences. I think what we want to do is have a buffet, you know, if I can make it easier where there's a bunch of interactive experiences, whether it's watching a Canadian women's hockey, you know, game with a, you know, an influencer or someone who's maybe got a little more insider, an ex player. I think, these are the type of things that we want to kind of weave and make available in a buffet of interactive assets that people can, you know, can go and do. So, um, yeah, happy to, to work with those leagues and figure out where you just sort of crawl, walk, run. How do you create these interactive experiences that, um, that uh, will provide value and a value exchange for the fan? There is interesting enough, Stephen, no um, sort of interactive consortium you know, in most businesses, whether that be writers or cable broadcasters or even broadcasters, there's consortiums that, yes, they may compete against each other, but there's a learning of what people embrace and what they don't. So uh, organically, that's sort of come up with a couple of times where everybody says, well, you should just build an interactive consortium, whether that be for shopping on television, you know, uh, displaying ad uh, stats, uh, allowing gamification. We should all work together to see what works and what doesn't. I know my 17-year-old daughter who's watching an episode of you know, Gossip Girl uh, on a big you know, 65-inch TV. You know, When I said to her, would you be interested in buying that cocktail dress? She stopped the TV and turned to me and said, Dad, are you going to build that? And I'm like, well, we're trying to. So that younger generation is being reinforced with this whole idea that they can do this in TikTok, they can do it in Instagram, but... Why can't they do it, you know, on the big screen? Like they don't have that concept of why that can't happen. And, you know, McLeod, my daughter's name, you know, she just doesn't know that behind the scenes, there's so many business distribution deals and deals that make Gossip Girl allowed to be on that screen. But if we can figure out a way to enhance the broadcast, maybe even put a shopping basket button on the remote 
So every time you're watching a show, you know if you hit that remote and the show is e-commerce or telecommerce enabled, there's slides out to cocktail dress. And hopefully maybe with two clicks, either through you know our friends at Google Pay or even Apple Pay, where you have the phone and the and the and the credit card all set up, you can just do two clicks and you can buy something. So I think we're going to get there, uh, but it may take a some good UX and usability and getting the 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 next generation to teach the older generation that you actually can do this and you can enable it to happen. And we're looking forward to working with all those folks to create more interactive personal versioning of content um, to make all that happen. Uh, before I let you go, Pete, we were talking off camera about artificial intelligence. And it, it yeah. just, you, you can't watch a newscast or, or read a newspaper these days and not see uh, an article or a report on, on AI. And um, I'd just like to pick your brain and, and for our listeners and, and viewers just on, on what, what opportunities you see uh, for sports, sports betting, and for what companies like Play Anywhere are doing as it relates to artificial intelligence? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, here in LA, where you have arguably the best creators of the world all in one area, creating movies and television shows and commercials and content, well, they're creators. And I think you're starting to see, you know, Sarah Silverman, who just recently sued the AI engines uh, for not getting consent, credit, or even compensation for that engine taking her content and machine learning it and teaching what a Sarah Silverman script could be. Getty Images is doing the same where, uh, you know, those engines have to learn based on something. AI has to determine whether or not, you know, that's a real photo or a fake photo, or is that a Silverman script? There was another great article about SpongeBob and Wall Street Journal about, you know, when you make a query into um, an AI engine and you want it to be quote unquote SpongeBob water skiing on Lake Ontario, that entity that gets created does Paramount who owns the brand for um, SpongeBob get compensated. And I think there's a lot of discussions, a lot of class action lawsuits that are going down this path that I think you're gonna have to set boundaries. And I think you might even see that in sports where, you know, there's such a history around uh, Canadian hockey. Do you start basically saying, well, before I just let you, um, you know, in essence, hoover up all that content for you to learn from, maybe there's an opportunity where you have to pay me for those rights. So that if you create um, a new AI tool that becomes premium to get access to that great Canadian hockey knowledge that actually you're compensating the IP holder or in the case of Sarah Silverman, the content creator. And I think you're going to see that there's going to be boundaries set up, whether you opt in as a creator or you opt out, or those engines are going to start having to figure out how to compensate. There's a great company here in New York that's working with a lot of movie studios called Runway, and they're contemplating and working with studios to pull a lot of that content off the shelf and make it available inside Runway to create the Maltese Falcon you know, video access, right? And I think that's where we're. it's going to be very interesting. And to play anywhere as a clearinghouse and as a, a rights, you know, sort of defense and accounting system, we think there may be an opportunity to help the leagues kind of figure out that strategy because it's coming and it's happening every day. And I think, um, you know, it's just, it's very, very sort of on the, just like you said, on the cusp of what everybody's thinking. So we think we might have, a use case for our platform to help, you know, monitor, track, and then compensate both the the studios who own the content, you know, just like you would with, you know, Napster and, or even, well, not necessarily Napster, but our friends at, you know, Spotify who have to pay the musicians, you know, a, a fee. So I think that's going to be something. It just, it'll be interesting to see what countries adapt that. There may be countries like Uncle, it's all free use. We're not going to sit there and have, you know, you know, sort of traffic cops that are monitoring all this is just too much. Or there'll be people like the States or maybe Europe where privacy and content is very important to them that they'll set guardrails and boundaries to either opt into these experiences or be compensated or even just basic credit consent. And we think that's going to be something as well. Peter Scott is the chief strategy officer for Play Anywhere. Uh, This was a terrific 
Pete. Oh, we're going to get you back on the podcast again, but uh, really appreciate you taking the time to chat and enjoy your, uh, enjoy your time in Los Angeles. Yeah, always a pleasure, Stephen, and looking forward to coming back and then, you know, just sharing the results. I think it's going to be a crawl, walk, run, and, you know, do fans want to participate? Do they want to sort of have this alternative experience where they create themselves? You know, that'll be time to tell, but, you know, happy to come back and share that knowledge with you. Great. Thanks, Pete. Uh, That's that's it for this episode of the uh, Gaming News Canada show. Uh, Thanks so much to to both Peter Scott and Shelley White from the Responsible Gambling Council for joining us. Uh, you can listen to this podcast uh, on the Gaming News Canada page on Substack. You can also catch us on Apple, Spotify, and other uh, other podcast platforms. Uh, we do this podcast every week. Uh, please, everyone, enjoy the rest of your week, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.